Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I am excited about today's guest. We are going down the Australian path again. Um, we've got a recent graduate of the trainee program who's also a female coach, so I'm really excited to talk to her about her story. We've got Catherine Hodges in today. Thanks for coming in, Kat. Thanks for having me, Brent. I am really pumped to talk to you today and I've, you've got a really cool story and I've gone with the formal intro, but just about everyone that talks to you will um <laughs> will be uh, comfortable calling you cat so we'll, i think we'll stick with cat for this conversation yeah, sounds good so for those that don't know you can you tell us a bit of your backstory yeah so i am um, grew up in wodonga country girl same as me so I'm, I'm from up that way as well yeah i um, started golf when i was about 11 years old and i guess started traveling to melbourne for um for state training and tournaments when i was sort of 14 15 so I okay. guess I got addicted pretty quickly. Um, and then, yeah, I guess spent the next few years on the Hume Highway, really, just traveling for events and training and whatnot. So, that is the most boring drive in the world. <laughs> I did that for three years for my traineeship and also for playing amateur golf as well. And, yeah, it's just 110 dual highway, <laughs> which is, and it's as boring as batshit. It was, it was good to, to get, it. good to get the, um, the L plates. Um, out of the way, I guess. <laughs> Do all my driving along there. Well, the thing was, when I, I kind of had my peas when I first started um, traveling down to the city, and back then you could only do eighty on peas in New South Wales. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, but in Victoria, you could do the speed limit. So yep. I've gone from doing eighty across the border in Albury <laughs> to being able to do one hundred and ten. So that was nice and fun. I've got a story started. for you later on about um, about my driving that. <laughs> Driving, okay. If I will you drive write with that me, down. Probably not, I'm not the best driver. I will. <laughs> I will talk no, about I, that later. <laughs> okay, I've put that down in, in my little notes here, so we'll certainly get to there. But talk me through what it's like growing up in the in the country. So, Wodonga, so Wodonga yeah, Golf Club. So, where you play? Um, I guess first of all, we didn't have a driving range, so that's what I, I gonna, used to hit. That's I was going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, so I did spend a lot of time. Um, all my practice was done down the 10th hole at Wodonga. Um, and then we had a decent putting green, that sort of thing, but competed against um, the guys a lot. So did a lot of sort of short game um, drills and had a bit of fun with them. But, um, yeah, I was always the only the only female pretty much growing up. So yeah. it was either me by myself or me sort of practising um, against the guys. Okay, so sit down the 10th hole. Now, the 10th hole, because it changes over there all the time. So the 10th hole is the par five? Yeah, by the pro shop. By the pro yeah. shop. That, that was the first back when I used to play a yeah. long, long, long Actually, time ago. I think I was thinking when I started, um, there was a really small driving range. It was only about 160 metres back then, which I probably couldn't reach anyway, but <laughs> that turned into housing, a housing estate. So, yeah, it didn't have a lot of – a huge amount of practice facilities, but I guess I – just got used to it. Yeah, I, I get that. Now, coming in as a as a as a player or as as a golfer without having the driving range, and I grew up in a similar way because I played it in Aubrey, and our golf club had a driving range, but it was a paid driving range. Yeah. So I couldn't afford to pay for golf balls. So I would, <laughs> um, that was my first um, my first um, work was picking up golf balls at, at the at the range, and part of that was being able to practice. But yeah, of course, nice. I found because you couldn't hit balls in practice, you spent more time on the golf course. So do you think that was something that you did as a junior, was spent more time on the golf course? I actually didn't spend enough time on the golf course, and I probably still don't, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, I used to hit, hit a lot of golf balls. <laughs> okay. Probably not a good habit to get into, I've learned. But, um, yeah, I don't know, for whatever reason. I still played, you know, comps every Saturday and that sort of thing, but um, – and I did a lot of short game actually, which is probably now why my strength has been my short game. Okay. It was either chipping and putting drills or it was hitting balls. So who um, – you said you were the only female in the in the club at the time. Yeah. How did you find that playing with, with the guys all the time? I didn't mind it. I guess um, I got comfortable pretty quickly. So I just – I guess I just um, accepted that that was how it was going to be, um, and I didn't. It wasn't too bad. Because I'm, I'm, I'm always curious to to see if that is a is a turnoff for for, for girl golfers coming through the system. If there's yeah, not enough, no, I think it probably helped me too because 
being in that environment so young, I, I'm confident. I get a, I get along with with male and females for that probably for that reason because um, I was so used to being around males growing up. So okay, yeah. Um, and how about coaching then? Were you getting coached by the the club pro then, or yeah, I sort of moved around a lot, so I didn't really have a stable coach. Um, oh, for all of my junior years, I guess. Um, which, yeah, as I got older, I guess it became a little bit more evident and I probably found it a bit harder, but didn't have much of a stable sort of coach. I got coaching off um, John Rogers. Okay. But that wasn't until I was sort of 17, 18, and then for the few years in between after that. Was he at Corowa still then or was he at, no, at the he range? No, he actually had a range the, at Wodonga. So. Yeah, on the, on, the, on the freeway there. Yeah, so that was, yeah, and he was awesome. It was just probably too late. Um, it was when I sort of um, was, I guess it's when I went overseas, which we'll get talking about soon. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. so changing your swing as a kid, how did you, if you had a problem, were you just kind yeah. of just hitting balls to try and sort out yourself? Or? Yeah, I I saw, um, so I saw Bernie Squire for a few years. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I hopped around a bit. Um, James McCulley. So I went and saw him for a few lessons. He was great, but again, it was that trouble. It was a bit hard. And then when I went into, um, I started getting into sort of the state teams and state squads. Um, we had different coaches, but again, it was sort of, it was always changing. So, I'm um, you, you're starting to make me feel really, really old when you mention those names because those guys <laughs> went through the program at oh, the same time as I did. <laughs> so these guys and. <laughs> So Bernie Squires and James both went through the same time as I did. So yeah. uh, I'm starting to starting to feel my age now. You're supposed to be nice yeah. to the old the old people, but um, <laughs> no, that's that's all good. So how did you get picked up by the state teams then? So how did did you start going down and playing out of your own off off, off you, your own bat? When I first started golf, I got into the um, the primary school teams. Okay, and then after that, I I guess from sort of 13 to 15, I because I was travelling so much to Melbourne, um, became, I suppose, rec- recognised and got into the squad. And I think I made the team when I was 17. So the, the, senior, team. the, the junior, senior sorry, team? The junior state team. The junior team? I might okay. have been in the squad, um, but I was probably the, yeah, the fifth or sixth player in the state team, but it was still pretty exciting to be a part of. So. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. Who was the coach back then in the state junior team? Who was the head coach? <laughs> Oh, I should know this. <laughs> we're talking when? 2000 and, and what? What, what kind of year we're like talking? It feels like so long ago. <laughs> I know um, Michelle Howard, she yep. took us for a few sessions um, and might have taken me away from one of the, the teams I was in. Um, I feel so bad. No, that's all good. I'm, I'm sure it will come to you at I some stage through the, through the conversation. <laughs> this feels like forever ago. Well, again, which, I which am is good. old. <laughs> No, rubbish, <laughs> rubbish. So talk me through a typical training session with the state team. Did you go down there for a couple of days at a time or was it single day stuff? It was stuff weekends. Or? So we used to, and I think because I was from the country, um, they weren't too strict on like when I could make it, but it was a weekend training session. Um, you know, I honestly can't remember a lot about it. <laughs> Okay. So was it yeah. was it all on the course or was it all on the range? Or It was seeing? definitely a bit on course. Um, and then I guess all the – they had sort of like um, different training squads as well growing up. So like your okay. country training squad and that kind of thing is getting away a bit. But um, all those sort of things were, again, I guess submitting your skills testing and that kind of thing um, to the coach and just so they could keep up to date with um, or keep track of what you were doing. So – so it sounds like they were giving you like training schedules to go and do at home rather yeah, than as well. Yeah, yeah. So how did you stick to that training plan? I actually, you know, home? I was actually pretty good. Like I was pretty disciplined. Um, again, being in the country, not a whole lot to do. So with the short <laughs> game, with the short game um, drills and that kind of thing, I I tried to to um, get through them and do them. I mean, I was sixteen, seventeen, so. Okay. Yeah. You didn't should have, I didn't have that many distractions. Getting to, to that partying age, weren't you? At 16, 17? I was definitely close. No, that's, that's all good. Um, so what type of success did you have in Australia? 
as an amateur, were you playing the, yeah. to- the, the big junior um, tournaments? I think I might have qualified for like the state champs, um, like once, and then part three championships. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not to, I mean it's a big event, but yeah. yeah. I guess I always competed, but I wasn't. I wasn't at the high end. I was sort of in between. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a curious, curious story because you jumped into college golf in the states, and that probably was not all that popular back then. I wouldn't have thought there wouldn't have been a lot of people going from Australia to to college in the in the in the states. I know Lindsay Wright did around about my yeah time. Um, yeah. So I had a few friends, um, Grace Theory and Michelle Huey. Okay. And they both gone there. I think they might have been two or three years older than me. And so I'd seen that they'd gone and I just got really interested and um, I pretty much wanted to go when I was from when I was sort of 17, year 11, I started looking into it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So talk, talk me through the process there. How do you get in touch with schools over there? How do you put yourself out in front of those coaches to get a spot? Yeah, so most people would go through an um, agency. So I'll contact the agency and they basically take care of you. You've got to send all your um, all your school grades and that kind of thing in. Um, but for me, it can be quite expensive, so I sort of did the research myself. Um, okay. I pretty much spent most of year twelve, to be honest, researching researching colleges. <laughs> Probably not too much schoolwork done by the sounds. No. Of um, so yeah, I, I started cont- contacting them at the start of year eleven, um, and was making phone calls, you know, at early hours of the morning to sort of get wow. interviewed for um, for scholarships. Um, and then I narrowed it down. I think I had about five that I was sort of looking at. And it was – I was about to sign and then I found out I actually wasn't eligible um, to play because over there – because our school system's so different. Um, you've got to meet a certain, certain criteria and if you don't meet that criteria, then you're basically ineligible to play. So spending year 12 making phone calls <laughs> and avoiding schoolwork didn't help. By the didn't sounds really of help, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't have a history. I didn't have a science. So all these different things, and it's quite common. Um, and so I ended up going to a JUCO, which is a basically a junior college. So it's similar to um, TAFE. And so I spent a year there, and I could still play golf um, for the team, but I spent a year there, and then I would transfer on to a D1 or a D2 college. So you essentially, you essentially spend the first year getting yourself up to speed to, yeah, to go yeah. into the into the proper yeah. program. And it's so, quite common, like I guess people, like Australians are in that situation, they either go to the junior college and then transfer over or they might go to a D1 college and sit out of playing for a year. Okay, so they yeah. so you just spend that first 12 months fighting your feet, so to speak. Pretty much just to, studying, yeah, and then you, I mean, you still train with the team but you can't actually play with the team. Okay. Yeah. So what were some of the things the coaches were trying to see when you were when you were talking to them? They were obviously asking you questions about you as a person. What are some of the traits they were, they were trying to find? They wanted um, your results, tournament results. Um, they wanted swing videos and I guess just mainly to see that you were consistently playing in, in events. Um, and handicap, handicap was a big one here. Um, okay. Because over there they don't really have much of a handicap system, so I guess our handicap system in Australia is um, more accurate than the American system. What were you playing off when you first started talking to the colleges? I was off around three. Okay. Sort of three handicap. And with that, say two or three handicap, you were getting interest from the top schools, or uh, like I wasn't looking at the top D one schools or anything. It was more sort of the mid range. Um, yeah. But that would mean too that if I was in a mid-range college, it would mean that um, and, you know, I would probably be guaranteed to play on the team. I suppose it's a it's a trade-off there, isn't it? Do you do you try and push into that that top quality yeah, exactly. high-end school and yeah. don't play every time, or do you go down a little bit and play play heaps more tournaments? Yeah, so. exactly. And that was the decision I guess I had to make. So okay, yeah. How did the rules impact you? Because I I had I've had a vague. Um, uh, talking to colleges over the years, when when I was in Taiwan, I, we played Junior Worlds in San Diego, and the college coaches would come up to me as the players' coach to give me their business cards because they couldn't talk to the players. Um, there's only there's certain isn't it, isn't, there, isn't there certain rules where college coaches can only talk at certain times to players and 
Because these yeah, coaches were, in tournaments, do you mean? Or well, I think just in general, isn't it? Wouldn't they recruiting players? They're going to do it at certain times, can't they? Yeah, in general, I think if you've got say an Australian amateur or something, I know there are some restrictions around that with um, coaches trying to poach players. Yeah, and the same thing with American events. Um, I guess for me, it was a bit different because I was doing everything from from home, so I didn't have too many issues. But I know there definitely are issues with um with different agencies trying to recruit players. It was just it was just strange because yeah, yeah. I was essentially walking down the the edge of the fairway. Yeah, but the college coaches were only on the car pass because they couldn't come off the car pass based on the college rules. They yeah, um, it could be a D one to a D one rule as well. Um, they were funny at some events with um, even simple things like the players interacting with their parents. So if they wanted food or anything like that, the parent would have to leave the food at the tea box. Oh, wow. Um, and they weren't allowed to interact. That was at some events. So, yeah, it, it did get strict at times. It was it was just a, a, a strange experience. So, yeah, yeah I was just, <laughs> just curious about that. If, if there's people tuning in that are, that are college coaches, I'd be keen to um, get a bit of a feel for what the rules actually are when you're yeah, trying definitely. to get players to come yeah. through. So shoot that through. So you've gone through that first 12 months and you've got all your schooling up to speed to be able to go in and play. So which college did you go to in the end? Yeah, so for me, so I went to a junior college. Um, it was called McLennan um, in Texas. And with the junior system, um, you are meant to spend two years, but you can spend one year. So I spent just one year there because I just, I guess after a year, I, I wanted to get out. Like I thought there was more opportunities out there. And so I um, went to Oklahoma Christian University. Yeah. Um, I was pretty limited in where I could go because I was transferring after one year. Um, but my teammate at the time, she was about to transfer and she had an interview um, at this college that I was that I ended up going to, um, and I went along with her for the long weekend just for a ride, basically, and ended up playing with the um, playing with her and the coach, and then ended up getting recruited. So nice. Yeah, the way it worked out was a bit different, but it, it worked out well. So yeah, yeah. So talk me through that that big step from junior college into the big leagues, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. How did you find that? I didn't find it too bad. I think because I had my teammate from my previous college that I was going with, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, it was a smaller school as well, though, so it wasn't a huge school. Um, but everyone lived on campus as well, so that was pretty cool. When you say small school, we, we're talking how no, many actually students quite are we small. talking? It was only probably 5,000 or something. Okay. okay. Yeah, it was tiny. Um, but it's, I guess it seemed big because everyone lived on campus as well. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, talk me through a, a typical college week. How many how many hours of classes are you doing? How much are you training golf? Are you playing yeah. every week? Yeah, so it was quite full on. Um, so basically, we were expected to play in practice five to six days a week. Okay. Um, we had classes from sort of eight until about one or two. Yeah. And then we'd all meet at the golf course. Um. And most of the time you'd you'd have to qualify for the tournament. So we'd play maybe like three days in a row and then the best four would qualify for the tournament and then the coach would pick one player. Okay, so you aren't guaranteed a spot every week. You weren't guaranteed have to- a spot, no. Um, I think if our team did well that week, then they would transfer most of the team onto the next week. Um, but a lot of the time you get back from a tournament and you'd have to qualify for the next tournament oh wow just depending on how you went um it was probably more so for our men's team where they were qualifying a lot more um the women's team was i guess the top six players were pretty set okay between the six the top six to the um the other four or five on the team so So, how many in the squad 10 11 yeah it was around 10 or 11 and we usually took five or six to the tournaments each week yeah, so I think there, I had, I probably had two or three times where um, I really had to play well in the qualifying to to make that make that week, but I ended up making every event. So oh, that's cool then. Yeah, so that was good. Because I was I was keen to know is is there was there certain times where a certain player was sitting on the sidelines for like a whole six yeah, that or twelve been, months. For sure. Yeah, but those girls also may not have been on um on much of a scholarship, I guess. Okay. And if they were, they were 
um, like spoken to and they had to sort of, I guess, lift their game. That's where the pressure comes in too. Yeah, it'd be tough, I think. Yeah, you, definitely. If you, if you have to push every every five or six days to make the team yeah. to play the next tournament, that's, that's yeah, really it's, hard. Yeah, it's high pressure. And I think it's – I mean, that's why I guess the practice was good too because it was always um, – it prepared you more for, for tournaments. So what was the training like? Was it on range? Was it on course? Were you always on course? Yeah, again, it was a mixture. Um, our practice days, we did a lot of things with the guys' team where we'd have a short game competition or we'd um, have one person at a time that would have to, you know, hit a shot on the range and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so they tried to put a bit of pressure on us and then the rest of the time was kind of just doing your own thing. Whether you played or you practiced, it was sort of up to you. Okay. Yeah. Some things I've heard about the college system from other, other people is they don't do a whole lot of swing coaching. They tend to. No, yeah. So, as someone who hit a heap of golf balls as a yeah. as a junior, <laughs> now all of a sudden you're in this a college where you aren't getting technical swing coaching. How did you find that? Yeah, I, I did find it hard. Um, I guess it's good and it's bad. It's good because it, it makes you play and not worry about your swing. It gets you to learn how to score. Um, but then the flip side of that is that you don't. Technically, you're probably not going to get any better. You probably get worse. <laughs> Did you go and seek someone outside of the college for some technical coaching? Um, a little bit. Again, it was hard because, like, you play your tournament, you get back from your tournament on like the Wednesday, and then um, usually you're expected to qualify on the Thursday, Friday, and then before you know it, you're going away again on the Sunday. And. St- Studying as well. So and doing studying all the and classes. Work. I didn't even talk about that. Um, but they actually, I had a few lessons, um, not a lot, but um, Rian Gibson, so okay. who plays on tour, he um, actually went to the same college probably, I don't know, eight years prior to me. Yeah, yeah. But he's a great player. So um, he was there. And there was another guy, Corey, there was another Australian. I don't know his last name, but um, they were both golf pros that were. Um, what Aussies that were there that could that could help out. Um, okay. But, yeah, getting back to my schedule, um, we'd pretty much have to catch up on the two days of work that you missed as well. So just because the golf team was gone the Monday, Tuesday from school didn't mean classes stopped. Um, you were expected oh. to keep up. Yeah. Wow. Keep up your studies. So, and again, with the scholarship too, um, both both sides of your, um, I guess, your game and your study had to had to be passing for you to keep your scholarship. So, where did your scholarship come from? Was it an, uh, a school based college or uh, a school based scholarship, or did it come from someone sponsored externally? Or no, nah, so it was all school based. Um, I was actually I was very lucky. I got my scholarship basically covered um, everything besides food. Okay. So all my accommodation when I went away for tournaments, um, accommodation while staying on campus, and then all my study as well. So very lucky. <laughs> no, that, 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 that sounds great. Now, yeah. I do have to ask, how close did you get to being pulled off the team for not keeping your schoolwork up to up to speed? <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually chose a pretty easy degree. Oh, did you? So, okay. <laughs> I mean, I studied sports management. Um, and I got bored halfway through it, so I did end up adding a minor in business to it. Okay. Um, I went there wanting to study maybe something more like nutrition, but I knew that I'd have to probably stop playing golf if I wanted to study that. Yeah, um, it's, it's got to be that. that it's a balance. It is, and it's, it's hard to know because you obviously to become out of college golf and be a tour player is, is extremely tough. Every every player that goes through college uh, yeah, isn't going to turn into a tour player. So having that something to fall yeah. you know, back on certainly helps. I went there for the golf experience. So I think um, I wanted to make sure I had the time to play. So and that's why I sort of studied the sports management. I just didn't realise um, it was probably a lot easier than I thought it would be. It was going to be. But I added the, the, um, the business, so it was good. So again, I have to ask, who were the superstars you came across in your in your college journey? Who did you see out there that you played against or played with that were that turned into superstars? Oh. <laughs> Is there anyone out there still or playing on tour or? Um, not really. My teammate was actually part of the um, junior Solemn Cup team, nice. which was pretty cool. She was a really yeah. good player. 
Um, but in general, not really. No, no. I, 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 yeah. It, it, it just goes to, goes to prove that it is very hard to make that jump from. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. College golf to out there to playing on tour. Yeah, it's definitely. Certainly, certainly hard. It's, so you've got. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say that there's so many like you might be a part of like as I, as I was a part of the state team in um in Victoria, but there's hundreds of you in America. So in the college there system. Is. So. Well, again, even even as, as I said, I was coaching in when I was coaching in Taiwan and we played junior worlds. We had we had two boys and three girls in the top fifteen in junior worlds. Oh wow! Uh, and they still they're not playing pro golf anywhere. Yeah, they're all they're all playing yeah. in Taiwan. A couple of them are playing in in Asia, but they aren't in the states yet. There's a girl in from Hong Kong, Tiffany Chan, who I'm trying to get on the podcast. Tiffany, if you're tuning in, I want to get you on. Um, she won't answer my Facebook messages at the moment. So, um, but she was probably that next tier down. But she's on the LPGA tour. So, oh, wow. it's um, but it, it just shows how hard it can be to to go from junior golf, so to speak, into into pro golf. Yeah. It's, a, yep. it's a it's a, it's a huge step forward. Yep, definitely. So college golf, passed everything, played some tournaments, had some awesome experience. We was the, what was the thought process in? Keen to come to Australia again, or keen to stay over there, or talk me through that. Yeah, um, I loved it there. It was it was a good balance. Um, I I guess I finished my four years, and I sort of I looked at um staying on there, so I looked at being an assistant coach there, but it was just it was probably a lot of hard work to try and sort something out quick um i sort of already i'd booked my flights home and i didn't know everything with my visa and that sort of thing so it just ended up that i thought i'd just come home and um yeah ended up staying home <laughs> it's um i don't and again i i toyed with the idea of going and coaching college golf in the in the states at a certain period in my life they didn't seem to be very high paying jobs either so that no not at a all challenge yeah i know it's yeah it's, it's not good i do remember that yeah, um, and that's the kind of thing that turned me off a little bit because I thought because yeah. I I heard as you as as we as we spoke about before that the coaches aren't giving you technical coaching, so I thought being an Australian PGA member be able to come in and say well I can do all the yeah. stuff that coaches doing now plus be able to do swing coaching with them. Yeah, but then I saw some of the pay rates and thought well, hang on a sec. I that's think it's not- only maybe like. 30 or 40 maybe. That's what I was seeing, and I'm thinking, wow, that is a s- tiny cash for yeah. um, for that type yeah. of role, for which I'm role. assuming they're doing lots of work and heaps of travel. Yeah, and they, I mean, like our, we used to um, travel for anywhere from five to 12 hours on a bus to go to tournaments. Yeah. And like the basketball team, the baseball team, they'd be travelling, yeah, 10, 12 hours for an event. So. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So finished up college, came back to Australia. Did you go back to the country or did you settle in the city after that? Yeah, so I went back to Melbourne. Uh, sorry, I went back to Wodonga for um, about six months and then I moved um, to Melbourne to start my traineeship um, the following year. So trainee program, at which course did you start that at? I started um, at Growling Frog. Yeah. <laughs> Most people probably haven't heard of it. <laughs> Growling Frog out in the country with yeah. probably back then would have been Wayne Rogers, maybe. It was, yes, Buck. <laughs> okay, that's a that's a that's a that's a story all by itself, I think. Working for for Wayne. Yeah, so, anyone that knows Wayne um, would know that he's very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, so, talk me through the experience in the trainee program. How did you find the the three year program? A being a female, we discussed this with some other guests recently as well. So, how have you yeah. you found the trainee program? Again, um, I didn't mind it. Like I, I got along with the guys really well, um, and the guys are, they're all nice. They're all good guys. So come on, all of them can't be nice. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> Most of them. No, nah, they're all pretty good. They all, um, I guess they all acknowledge us, us girls, and um, and we really fit in with them. So I found it fine. Yeah, it's been good. I would have thought having that. That college where you said you were doing full time study, full time playing, essentially would have helped you in the trainee program because you're doing a similar thing. You're doing full time work plus trying to find time to play and practice, yeah. plus doing essentially full time so. study as well. So you should be right across it by now. I oh, know you'd think so. 
now again, I, I saw your assignments come through, and they were certainly of a high quality. So don't be saying that you <laughs> that you struggled through because that's no, just I mean, a lie. I struggled a little bit with, um, I guess, with my golf at the start, but it was probably just adapting again to uh, living in Melbourne, and I probably got too technical. <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually probably had a more balanced life in college, to be honest. Okay, <laughs> I um. I don't know. I found in college it was, it was um, study, golf, or partying. <laughs> I could, and I how could was enjoy. The I could enjoy. You know, I could enjoy my weekends um, probably more so than I could as a trainee. Okay. And I wasn't having to worry about work. So. Okay. No, that's that's fair enough. So it was probably more of a balanced, um, balanced life in college, <laughs> as it should be. I'm, I would have thought, and just. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because in college it was very structured, you had a timetable, you had to do this, this time, this time, yeah. this time, whereas with the, the trainee program, it's not as structured. Yes, as you've got, structured, yeah. You've, you've got schoolwork to do, but you aren't sitting in a classroom and doing it. You no, have to exactly. find your own time and actually go yeah. off and do the assignment. So that would have been a challenge, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. But I guess you've also got the influence of your teammates when you're in college to, you know, we're going out tonight, let's go. So it was like... <laughs> Okay, fair point as well. Whereas, but it, and you're not getting up at 5 a.m. to be in the pro shop at 6 a.m. <laughs> those enjoyable early morning starts is uh, <laughs> certainly challenging when it yeah. comes to... Or you're not trying to submit an assignment on a Friday night at midnight. <laughs> no, I'm sure that you weren't doing it that late, were you? You were cruising through all the assignments. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's cool. Um, okay, so got through the trainee program without yeah. too many problems um, and then keen to step into coaching straight away or yeah so i've sort of in, i enjoy both i enjoy um the shop side of thing i guess mixing up you know mixing with members and interacting with them um but also love um coaching as well um introdu- introducing ladies to the game that sort of thing so i like the balance i guess yeah yeah so what type of coaching programs have you set up? We've um, you're at you're at two different coaching places at the moment, aren't we? Aren't you? Yeah, I am. So um, I've been at Woodlands now for I think four years. Yeah. Um, we started a program here last year, um, which actually went went really well. Um, we had fifty ladies join up for a six month program that's um actually turned into almost a year because of COVID. Um, but we've had 17 ladies join nice. from that program, which has been good. Um, and then Peninsula Kingswood, um, I started working there two years, nearly two years ago. And similar sort of thing, they had 50 ladies um, the first year. I think they had about 24 sign up. And then again, the same thing happened um, this year. Okay. Had another 50 ladies join and um, around sort of 22 or something joined up. So it's been... Um, it's been great. Like women's golf is booming at the moment. So in those programs, have they been set up with that pathway in mind where you're going to get them in for clinics, get them started, and then get them to join the club? Not really. Like, I mean, obviously the clubs, you know, we all want more women members, but it's not necessarily the, you know, the main result you want. You just want them to get into the game and, um, and you know, get more women, women playing and get them to have some fun and just see where it leads, where it leads to. So what is your typical program in that space? Is it a four- or five-week type program? Yeah, so at um, Peninsula Kingswood we did a three-month program and it was basically the ladies got um, up to six clinics a week and it was ongoing for the three months. Um, And then obviously they can have sort of one-on-one coaching if they want, but most of them just did all the clinics and then they sort of um, decided whether or not they wanted to join um, and then at Woodlands, we did a package where it was uh, four clinics, three on-course lessons and three um, individual lessons. Okay. And what was your demographic for those coming through that program? Were you talking 20s, 30s, 40s? It was actually really good. It was all very mixed. Um, we probably had – we actually had an under-40s um, program at Peninsula Kingswood, and I think we got – maybe like 12 girls that were in that clinic. Um, And then Woodlands, again, was a mixture of all ages. Um, The youngest was probably around sort of 20. Yeah. Yeah. 
how did you find scheduling those for those type of those type of golfers? You're obviously trying to find times because I'm guessing they've got careers and they're working. Yeah, was it um, after hours stuff or on the weekends? It was all mixed. It was it it was hard, but it was probably hard too because um I guess I was trying to coordinate them like for me for the Woodlands girls, I was trying to coordinate it with my work at Peninsula. Yeah. <laughs> um but in terms of the times we did I did three clinics on a Saturday and three on a Wednesday. Well, that's tiring, I'm sure. And then yeah, and then I had um and one of those was after hours. So one of those was at five o'clock on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And then the Saturday clinics were scattered throughout the day. Um, clinics are hard work. If you're doing three each day, twice twice a week, oh, that's yeah, full on. That's full on. <laughs> um, and then we had another coach here, um, Nathan. He coached Sunday uh, Sunday Mondays, okay. um, and I think they were early mornings. And then at Peninsula Kingswood. Um, I had a lot of options, so I pretty much scattered throughout the week. Um, there was one on a Saturday, one on a Wednesday night it might have been, and then um, again like a Tuesday and a Friday throughout the day and a Sunday morning. So, Question I'm curious because both of your coaching places are private clubs. Yeah. So how do you attract players to come in and get coaching from you at private clubs? Because I know that certain places I've been involved with at, at a private clubs, it's been a tough because they don't think they can come in if it's yeah. a private club. So how do you find attracting clients? And it can give that image, I think, too. Um, so Peninsula Kingswood um, was basically you were invited by a member um, to come to the clinic, whether that was a member's um, wife or daughter or a friend of a friend, but you had to sort of know a member. Um, and then Woodlands, again, we had a lot of members, um, partners that joined or kids maybe that joined. Um, and then I had, I'd ran some clinics um, that I would put through getting to golf on the Golf Australia website. So yeah. I did those um, a year or so ago and then contacted some of those ladies and then did a bit of stuff on um, social media as well. So it's been a pretty mixed bag um, at Woodlands of you know, members, partners or family as well as um, as ladies that um, I guess aren't connected to the club. Because it, it, it could be hard to get people into the club if they if they had to get asked by someone who's already in the club to come out to a clinic. That can be a challenge for you, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And, like, both clubs have been really good. The um, support from the, the committee itself has been, been awesome. They, um, they get allocated a... Um, you know, a mentor basically, so they can sort of look after that group of ladies for the for the program. Okay. Yeah. So you, you do start a clinics, obviously. You're doing private coaching as well. Yeah, bits and pieces. So I'm sort of getting, um, I guess, some private lessons from the programs, and then also coach um, just like members itself, members themselves um, at both clubs. And how do you tend to set up those private coaching sessions? Do you tend to sell them as they go or do you uh, get them into a program or do you yeah, tend I've to? Yeah, I've got some packages where I do sort of um, four lessons for, oh, sorry, five lessons for four. Yeah. Um, for the cost of four. Um, that's probably the main sort of way that I do it. Um, otherwise, it's just sort of one-on-one coaching. Um, I also have clinics that I run at. Peninsula Kingswood for um, for the women as well. And they just go sort of week to week on a Tuesday, Thursday, as well as some um, on-course lessons. Okay. And what sort of uptake do you, do you get for those sessions? They're usually pretty full, um, but I try and cap it at six or seven ladies. Yeah. Just to make it not – so that they all sort of get some time each. Yeah. And are you covering a certain training session each week or are you doing something special? Yeah, so we'll put it on our timesheet and it might be pitching one week and then it might be bunkers the next week. And, um, and yeah, I, I listed the topic um, on our timesheet so that any lady can join if they want to join that, that clinic for the week. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> again, the, it's got to be asked. I'm guessing you get the the same person that's having trouble with a certain part of their game kind of coming every third or fourth week <laughs> to cover that area again. Yeah, yeah, bunkers is a huge one. 
That's the one, yeah. That's yeah. what everyone seems to struggle with, don't they? So getting yeah, in there. I guess it's under, I mean, especially for um, oh, anyone, oh, anyone, especially ladies and um, beginners, a beginner that's coming to play it. These sandbelt courses they're, with they're those big deep bunkers. I know how much I struggled when I was a junior. So when I was starting out, it can be a, like a problem with the with the actual swing technique, how to how to use the sand when they yeah, exactly. use the sand iron properly, and, uh, and then also strength issues as well. If it's a big yeah, light yeah, leap, definitely. we try and get it up out of a out of a high bunker. Yeah, can be certainly a challenge. So, do you see yourself specialising in starter golfers or? Yeah, I enjoy coaching. Um, women and I guess just getting them into golf um that's probably my main focus and I enjoy coaching juniors as well yeah um I went out to a lot of primary school sort of uh in my third year of my traineeship so I did a lot of coaching at primary schools how was that (laughs) challenging that was hard work (laughs) that is hard work I loved it but um when you have 20 to 30 kids that you're in charge of and they've all got golf clubs in their hand, it, it can be pretty scary. How many kids got hit? I did have one get hit. I've only had one go so far over, over all my coaching. I've only had one kid get a, get a head in the – get a yeah. – hit in the head with a, with a, with a, with a golf club. Um, and I've had as big as 90. I had a group of 90 once. Oh, that's a nightmare. Um, that wasn't with me, just me though. I got a whole heap of the yeah, you uh, want to. lady golfers from the club I was working at at the time to come it's and help me. It's all about safety. Like it half is. the time it didn't, I didn't even, I mean, you just want them to have fun, but it was just the whole time all you're worrying about was the safety of the kids. You can't do too much coaching in that no. type of situation. It's about no. setting up games where they can teach themselves <laughs> yeah. and um, control chaos so they don't kill each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, it was a lot of fun. I went to... I don't know, probably eight or ten schools. Um, it was when I was working. I think I might have been like part-time at Woodlands and I hadn't started at Peninsula Kingswood. Yeah. And so I packed my car up and <laughs> off you went. pulled up all my junior, junior equipment and, yeah, <laughs> off I went. That's, that's awesome. So you, you, as I said before, you see yourself going down that pathway with, with kids and starters? Yeah, a little bit. But, I do, yeah, I do enjoy um, coaching the women. Um, probably a little bit more, but still want to be stay involved with the juniors as well. Yeah, I think I think kids can be fun, and if you, if you yeah. keep it fun, and I think back to the coaching I was doing with the kids when I first started, and how I would how I changed my ideas on junior coaching, yeah. how I would completely change it again now, and um, you just had to keep it fun. And yeah, I'm sure you guys have switched on so much now with how kids learn and how a junior <laughs> program should be set up. <laughs> We actually we've just got Dennis um, McDade on board at Peninsula Kingswood, so um, I think he'll be really good for the club to to get us um, running a good junior program. So. Yes, certainly a very high profile high, high profile junior coach over the years as well. I've seen him yeah. present a few times on junior coaching over the yeah. over the journey, and he's extremely good at oh, he's his, awesome. at he his does stuff. A good job. I would definitely put your hand up to go and spend some time with him, help yes, out, 100%. and maybe just watch and see how he how he goes about it. Yeah. Well, Kat, thank you so much for your time today. I've got five questions that I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Okay. So I'm going to throw those at you now. So short, sharp questions, short, sharp answers. Don't need to overthink it too much. So for coaches starting out, what tips have you got for them coming through? For trainees, do you mean? Yeah, trainees, young coaches starting out. Yeah, for trainees, I would say just try and get into coaching as soon as you can, um, especially in like your first year. I know a lot of trainees get through their first, second year and they haven't done all that much coaching, so just try and get into it um, as quickly as you can. That, that's the that's pretty the, that's pretty much the common answer that comes out of that question and yeah. I would tend to reinforce that because I just think it's so hard. It's so easy to be scared of coaching when you first start out. It's so easy to think, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and you've probably heard me say it at training schools over the years, but I couldn't see swing faults when I first started yeah. coaching. Yeah. Um, but if you start off t- teaching setup and grip and some simple stuff, players will improve by doing that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We tend to be on the same path as you. So, wavelengths to um, just enforce the fact that you get out and start doing it and you'll improve by doing it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Really good advice. So for golfers out there, 
What have you got for them? Um, advice for golfers. Advice for golfers. Get a lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a common answer as well. That's all good. Um, It's a, it's a good one. <laughs> it, is a, it is a tough question because it, it, it's hard sometimes, I think, as a coach because it's very easy to give a generic answer, which yeah. tends to not help anybody. Yeah. And it's I hard guess, to give specialised yeah. answers. I guess put your um, put your competition into practice more. So yeah. try and make sure that, you know, you're not going to the range like I probably did a bit when I was younger and just belting balls. Try and actually make it have a purpose. That's that is really cool advice because I see it all the time. You see the guy go on the range and hit fifty seven nines in a row, and he comes away thinking I'm hitting it great because I've hit the yeah, same exactly. shot over and over again. You probably yeah. hit the first twenty pretty ordinary, yeah. And by the time <laughs> it gets to twenty five, he's hitting them okay, and he's, he's actually he's improving. So he thinks, yeah. He probably hasn't because <laughs> you hasn't, only get exactly. on the course. You only get that one crack at it. So yeah, it's certainly a challenge. Um, where do you see yourself in five years' time? We've kind of touched on that a bit already. Yeah, um, I think already, a mixed but... role in, as I said, I do enjoy the interaction with members um, and the pro shop side, but um, also love coaching as well. So I couldn't give you an exact answer but right now, but um, so definitely staying in the golf industry and definitely still coaching and being um, being a part of the pro shop staff. It's, um, it's a challenging space because pro shop work used to drive me nuts. I hate being yeah. in the pro shop. I hate being stuck behind the counter. But it's a great way to get clients for your coaching as well. Yeah. Being I able to talk to golfers. When it like I enjoy yeah, I like being busy. So um during summer and when there's corporate days on and when there's um you know different events on and guests when the guests are coming in and you've got um I think a peninsula Kingswood too, like having the two courses it's it's constant. Yeah. So I think that's why it's more enjoyable. Um, if I was to go work at a, you know, at a country club or a smaller club in the pro shop, I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, just, being, I like to be on the go all the time. Yeah. No, I com- completely understand. Yeah. Completely, completely get that. Is there anything that you would change in your career journey up until now? Would you do anything would, if you had the chance to go back and change something? Is there anything that you would change? Um, I'd probably. Try and I guess get a bit more coaching prior to um, college, or just to, I. I think you need to go to college technically feeling comfortable. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, so I could go out and play, just be ready to play. Uh, I still went well there, but like oh, you know, okay there. But um, apart from that, um, I think the the way I did it with starting it with college and then moving into the traineeship was the best the best thing I could have done. Yeah. Um, I loved college and starting the traineeship a bit older, I think, helped too. Stop talking about it because that's because that's because <laughs> I, I always go people that tune into this podcast quite often would be um, over the fact that I asked that question because I would change some stuff that yeah. I would have done. <laughs> and I haven't even told going, you some of the college stories, but <laughs> and going to college is, is, is certainly something that I would have done. Yeah. I would have definitely gone yeah. into, into. I'd do college. it all over again. I'd do college, yeah, all over again for sure. Well, you haven't told me all the stories, then we'll have to come back for a part two, and we'll just do a a pure college podcast where we talk about all the <laughs> all the partying stories and the stuff that you did behind the scenes. I can only, yeah, I can only. It wasn't that bad. Some of the parties you went to and all that kind of stuff you you got into. No, that's really cool. Um, Sources of further education for yourself. Is there certain places you go to learn more about coaching or is there somewhere where you get your further education from? Yeah, I try and um, keep up to date with, um, I guess, the stuff stuff that um, the PGA put online through the ACE um, credits. And I follow a few coaches on Instagram and that sort of thing and, um, but yeah, I guess always looking at ways to try and improve. Um, I think it's been hard the last two years with COVID because has been those things that it's been good, I guess, for listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, definitely always trying to find ways to improve. Who are your go-to coaches on on socials that you tend to tend to follow <laughs> I and go watch, to? Um, 
uh, like me and my golf. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, they're just awesome guys. They're just really good for the basic sort of stuff um, that I'm coaching. So, yeah. and they just explain things real simple. So, um, that's at the moment. That's who I'm currently sort of listening to, just for that simple reason, because of the the clients I'm coaching. Yeah. Did you spend any time? Uh, did you see them speak at the PGA Expo when they were here last? No, but I want to go to the PGA um, PGA Expo. That's one thing I do want to go to. So I would yeah. definitely sign up for the Expo course via the yeah, ACE program be awesome. because their clip they were they were really good. And there's a clip in there about them getting started being on camera. Ah, would, cool. And the outtakes <laughs> and the amount of times they screwed it up at the start. It's okay. a very funny video. So, but I also I mean, yeah, I try and watch. Um, you know, you used to spend a lot of time at Yarra Bend watching the coaches there um, and just, yeah, watch any coaches I can when when I have the chance to again, I'll start doing that. Yeah. I think no, you can always learn. That is great advice. Now, I've missed, I've got it written down here, the driving story. Tell me the driving story. What was it? <laughs> there wasn't a lot to it. No, I was just going to say, I um, talking about getting my, about my L's, getting my hours up, um, I got my license, like, three days before I went to America okay. and and then I went um, went to America for a year and then came back and didn't drive in America but there were a number of occasions where I was driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> That's a worry. In, in Wodonga or I'd go around the roundabout and almost go around the wrong way just because I was so used to being on that side <laughs> of the road. I found it hard in the States because when we went to, over there with the kids from Taiwan, I had to drive and um, I was okay if I had other cars to follow. Yeah. But I've been driving over here on the left and you go over there and drive on the right. Yeah. When I came to a, like a cross intersection and I was the only car there, you had to think twice about where you're actually going. Yeah. And it also didn't help that my wife was sitting in the passenger seat flinching every time a car went past her because it's going past on the other side. <laughs> So yeah, she wasn't I, making my driving very easy. It was a challenge driving on the other side of the road. Oh, it's so confusing. It's more confusing when you come back to Australia. <laughs> I, I found it really hard. Yeah. My cousin, me. my cousin used to hate it every time we <laughs> we go for a drive. I think she was scared for her life. It's um <laughs> so and yeah no that's cool. Um, where can people find you if they're after hunting down? They got social media handles, websites, um, Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is the place yeah. to be. Yeah. I'll put some links into the show notes so everyone can find you. And yeah. if you don't mind me putting some links to your coaching venues maybe. Yeah, no problem. As well. Sounds so good. People can hunt you down if they're after <laughs> some coaching or just want to catch up and hear yeah. more about your story. Sounds good. <laughs> well, thanks Thank again you. for your time, Kat. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks, um, doing cool things out there and it's great to spend some time with you. You too. Thank you.